Supernatural, episode 3.14, Long Distance Call. We open with a man alone in his office. His phone rings. He's obviously apprehensive about answering it. He picks it up, and it's a woman named Linda, who says, Come to me. He says he can't because of his wife, and hangs up. But she continues to call. The man can't take it anymore, so he pulls the phone out of the wall and throws it across the room. It rings again. The man, at his wit's end, puts a gun to his jaw and shoots. Scene changes, and Dean gets off the phone with Bobby, after he tells him about the man who committed suicide. Sam says, so you were talking a case? Dean says, no, we were actually talking about our feelings and our favorite boy bands. Sam says they're already on a case. Dean's. Dean says they've been chasing their tails about this deal. Doesn't look good for him. Sam insists that they should summon Ruby, but Dean says she can't do anything about it. She's already told him. Sam's mad at Dean for keeping a secret from him, and Dean says, Do we really want to talk about who's keeping secrets from who? The boys begin to investigate the man's death. They show up in Ohio and talk to the man's wife. Sam notices there's a strange number on the caller ID. The call matches the man's time of death. The man's wife reveals that there had been some strange calls prior to his death. She said she thought he was talking to a woman named Linda, but when she picked up the other line, all she heard was static. Dean does some research and finds out that Linda did exist. She and the man, Ben, were high school sweethearts, but she died in a car crash when they were hit by a drunk driver. Linda was cremated, so the possibility of an angry spirit is ruled out. Sam finds out that the phone number on the caller ID is about a century old. The boys go to the phone company to have them do a trace on the number. There have been ten different calls from the number in the last two weeks. Sam goes to one of, families, one of the families who received the call. The father of the family insists that they haven't received any strange calls. But after Sam starts to walk away, the daughter says she's been talking on the phone with her mother. But her mom's been dead for three years. <laughs> the calls started about a week ago. She thought she was crazy. Sam tries to convince her she's not. Dean calls Sam to give him the lowdown on what he found out about some of the families affected by the calls. Dean says they need to find out what's going on soon because this place is turning into a spook central. Then, Dean gets a call. And it's John Winchester! The boys still don't know what is causing the phone calls from the dead, so Dean does some digging and finds out that Milan, Ohio, was also the birthplace of Thomas Edison. While on tour of the museum, the tour guide explains that Thomas Edison was a devout occultist and developed a spirit phone to communicate with the dead. The tour guide says everything with, as Dean says, quotey fingers. The boys check out the spirit phone. Dean says it could work like a radio tower, broadcasting spirits all over town. But Sam wonders why it would just start working now. While Sam's sleeping, Dean is up, sitting by the phone, waiting for his dad's call. The phone rings, and Dean asks if it's really him, and how he can be sure. John says he can't. Then John berates Dean for making the deal for his life. Dean says he was looking after Sammy, like John told him to. But John said, I never wanted this. You're my boy. Dean says that he's sorry and doesn't know how to break the deal. John says he knows a way out. The demon who holds the, his contract is in town. Lainey, the girl that Sam talked to earlier about getting calls from her mom, is contacted by her dead mother again. She's on her computer, instant messaging, when her mom starts IMing her. Her mom says she wants to see her. 
Lainey says she went to the cemetery to see her, but her mom says that's not what she meant. The computer turns off and the screen reflects a picture of her mother behind her. Come to me is repeated over and over on the screen. Dean thinks John is right, that the demon is here. He found demonic omens, electrical storms everywhere they've been for the past two weeks. Sam doesn't remember any lightning storms. Dean says John rattled off an exorcism that can actually kill a demon. Sam says that he and Bobby both checked it out and there's no evidence that it can actually kill a demon. Sam says they can't be sure because he doesn't know what's going on here. Dean says to Sammy, For months we've been trying to break this demon deal. Now Dad's about to give us the freaking address and you can't accept it? The man is dead and you're still butting heads with him. Sam says that it's not what it's about. They've got no hard proof, and Dean is just working off blind faith. Dean says, maybe that's all I've got. Lainey tells Sam that her mother has been telling her to do bad things. Lainey says her mom told her to kill herself. Sam begins to realize what's going on when Lainey tells him that her mother said, come to me. Dean receives another call from John. He tells him where the demon is. Dean holds up in the house, waiting for the demon to come home, and paints a devil's trap under the rug. Lainey's brother, Simon, receives a call from his mom on his toy phone. Simon is missing. He's walking through a busy street and is almost hit by a truck when Sam pulls him out of the way. Sam has figured out what's calling these people a crocata. Dean says, is that a sandwich? Sam explains that it's a scavenger who mimics loved ones, lures them into the dark, and steals their souls. Dean remembers that crocodas live in filth, and reminds Sam of the mess and flies at the phone company. Sam thinks it's Stewie, the phone company representative who did a trace on the number for them. But when Sam is threatening Stewie, the real crocata comes up behind them and whacks Sam and Stewie in the head. The crocata kills Stewie and sucks his soul out of his mouth. Sam realizes that his last phone call with Dean was actually with the crocata. The Krakata calls another man, pretending to be his young daughter. He says that the man who killed his daughter is at the house. Dean is at the same house! The man comes in with a shotgun. Dean has no way of knowing if he is really a demon. A fight ensues, and they are both beating each other within an inch of their lives. The Krakata monologues. He says technology makes everything so much easier. He says he used to have to hide in the forest and call out to people, waiting for them to come to him. He said he'd only eat one or two souls a year. Sam was tied up but breaks free. He fights with the crocata and impales him in the back of the neck. Dean gets the man into the devil's trap. The man steps out and Dean realizes that he's made a mistake. Dean finally gets the man to stop fighting and reason with him. The man says, if you didn't kill my daughter, then what are you doing here? Dean says, I don't know. The boys are back in the hotel room, both with their respective battle scars. Sam says, I'm sorry it wasn't Dad. Dean says, I wanted to believe so badly that there was a way out of this. I'm scared, Sam. I'm really scared. Dean says he was willing to believe anything. He says, last act of a desperate man. He says, the only person who can get me out of this thing is me. Sam says, and me. Okay, so I would give this episode probably a B-. minus. I liked the premise, the baddie was pretty cool, but it, it did seem a little slow while you were watching it. 
but I did like the brother moments. And they said there's going to be a lot more in season four, especially with their low budget. The brother moments were good. I would have to give this episode, I'm giving it a B. It was cute, and I really loved the idea of the crocata. I liked how they um, made it modern times crocata. I'd say it was a good episode. So this is Kristen. And Alyssa. And thanks for listening to us. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Great recap, guys. Let's move along to analysis and theories and my discussion with Josh. Hi, this is Ellen. This is Josh. And what did you think of this episode? Well, I have to say that I really did enjoy the premise of the episode. I thought it was a really interesting take on the old myth. And oh, yeah, definitely. There's something in, in general creepy about mysterious phone calls. You know, there's been millions of movies made about them. And, of course, caller ID kind of ruined a lot of that. But <laughs> they're still really creepy. It takes all the fun out of being a stalker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're hiding in the house and calling people. No hang-ups, they can just star 69. That's right. Technology ruins everything. Yeah, I wonder some of those movies about mysterious phone calls, how they're going to remake those and still be believable to today's teenagers. Yeah, I mean, I'd heard the myth about the people, you know, that would, voices that you'd hear in the woods that would draw out their loved ones and they'd never come back. And so I thought this was a really interesting way of looking at that same concept. Oh, definitely. I was so glad to see a myth return, you know, something right. different and, you know, some sort of mythological creature. It's why I started watching the show in the first place and it's veered away from that. <laughs> so it almost felt like season one had risen again. You know, it was, this is just the type of episode we saw in season one. So oh, I definitely. loved it. Yeah, I loved that return. Yeah, it was just like it. I mean, they, they get a phone call from dad, go chasing after him and solve the case along the way like they used to. Exactly. <laughs> it was perfect. And, it, I mean, it was classic. And if you look at the ratings for last episode, they're, um, well, they weren't, as far as like the fan ratings, you know, 1 to 10. Oh, right. It was about a 8.1, but this one was back up to 9.3 again. So oh, that's good. people liked it. So. 8.1, I think, is actually might even be lower than Bugs. Really? <laughs> That's pretty low. It was good to see that that was pushed aside and we are back to old, you know, supernatural. Yes. Like you said, it was an excellent premise. You know, we all have that wish that we could talk to somebody we've lost. And I think that was that along with all of the myths that they incorporated or, you know, that they touched on, you know, it really goes to the heart of the, you know, the deepest human emotion, you know, grief and loss. And I know having just lost my dad, it resonated with me. But the fact that Dean was so overcome when he found out that it was John or, well, he thought it was John. It was pure emotion that everybody has. Yeah. And it just draws and plays on that. And I think that made it even creepier. Definitely. It was it was heart-wrenching to watch Dean and, and the girl with her mother, those situations, because it's, I mean, it's a different kind of evil. It's evil in the fact that he's eating their souls, but it's evil because it is messing with their emotions that way and, you know, tearing them apart and the, making them feel these awful feelings and stirring up all that emotion. Yeah, and using somebody you love against you. Right. That's like the most evil thing you can have out there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. And the pacing was really good. The good use of tension, you know, where they set it up and then it just kept building with the perfect climax. I mean, it was just perfect writing. Yes, well done. I, and, and speaking of which, you know, going into what I liked about it, 
I thought, in general, the episode did a great job as a whole of ratcheting up the tension. Because, mm, yeah. you know, we didn't really, with only three episodes left, so you're kind of expecting that the big story arcs would get moved along. But this episode seemed more designed to make us get more, even more anxious about what's going to happen to Dean. Because we, we see his time, you know, counting down and we see him getting freaked out and it's just making us really want to know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, early, you know, what happened early this season where he was just like, I'm going to live every day to the best and right. I'm going to, you know, do whatever I want, whenever I want, because there's no consequence. And then he just have, has been going away from that. And now that his time is really close, we're all worried. We're like, what's going to happen to this guy? And yeah, they you could tell it's every, you could just read it on Jensen's face. I mean, because he's a really great actor. And it's there. It's right in front of you. And it's a constant reminder. You can just see he's just worried. He's scared to death. I mean, Sam called it out. It's it's exactly it. He's scared. Yeah, and you're right. It, I didn't even think about it, but it is such a contrast to the Dean at the beginning of the season. And like you said, Jensen did a great job of you know, doing the happy-go-lucky stuff. And now the change that the writers have said, you know, mm-hmm. the whole arc of his character this season is coming to full circle and it's very interesting to watch. Yeah. And I liked how there were so many different layers to this episode. I think that was that and the pacing, it, it just, it combined really well. Yeah. And I think it's one that at first you're a little disappointed because it is, it is kind of a standard supernatural episode and, and with so few left in the season, you want bigger things to be revealed and more exciting stuff to happen. But it's the kind of episode when you think about it and watch it again, it's even more interesting than the first time. Yeah, it has all those different little storylines and all those little nuances that I think I've only seen it once, but I think when I rewatch it, I'll pick up on even more. Yeah. Going into another thing that I really liked about it, I thought that the whole idea of Dean falling for the demon's trick was was really, you know, key not only to the episode, but it was key to his character development, like we just mentioned, and the whole coming full circle and what's going to happen mm-hmm. to him. And it, it seemed like uncharacteristic of season three Dean, because he's been really skeptical this season, you know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Sam's always running off on hunches, and Dean's like, whatever, that's not going to work. But I think it had a lot to do with the fact that it was his dad, whom he did see escaping from hell, you know? That had a lot to do with his ability to be deceived, I think. Yeah, you know, and I think that combined with the fact, well, one, that he would love to see his dad again, he wants his advice, but also that, look what they do, look what they believe in, what they've seen, it's supernatural, I mean, anything can happen, they've seen their mom come back and fight the poltergeist, like, it's not unusual in their world for people to come back. (laughs) That's true. And so it really wouldn't be that much of a stretch, so... Yes, I thought that completely was against his character, except that, of course, it was his dad. And, and even Sam was skeptical. He's like, it can't be, you know. And that's kind of a the role reversal right there. But yeah. it wouldn't be entirely a stretch either. So I think as far as the audience is concerned, when you're watching it, you're like, well, it could be. It might not be. You know, it was, you didn't know ahead of time what was going to happen. Yeah, you you can't help but think it just might be him. It might be true, just like Dean was saying. It, and he's facing a really dark time, so he's hoping that the guy who used to he used to always trust so blindly will come in and make it all better. I mean, his dad did bail him out the last time he was at death's door. So, 
You know, and I, I caught that whole, you know, when John told him that he loved him, that was the red flag because it wasn't like John to express <laughs> feelings and emotions. <laughs> so true. right there I thought, maybe it isn't John. That was kind of, <laughs> this little red flag went up, this little tiny red flag. I was like, that doesn't seem like something John would say. Yeah. But although if he was missing his son, he might just say it because he knew he didn't have a lot of time. And, and honestly, you know, to me, what, what fooled me was the fact that his name was in the opening credit, in Jeffrey yeah. J. Morgan's name. So I always expected him to do more than just talk on the phone. I expected him to, like, show it physically at some point. Yeah, I was actually kind of bummed out about that. You know, why couldn't it have been, like, some sort of apparition or something that was like a... But, uh, yeah, I thought maybe John could have appeared. Like, the, the demon could have taken his form or that... You could have had like a ghostly apparition or something, you know, that would have made it a little bit more believable. Yeah, I, that, I thought that was a really good touch, you know, the fact that it was just his voice that was guest starring and not his, his person. It really tricked me anyway. Yeah. I wonder if they didn't have to pay him as much if it was just his voice. <laughs> not. He still gets the credit. Yeah, I knew he was slated to come back on one of the episodes this season, but with the writer's strike, I didn't know if that had been canned or what. Right. Even just a voice, it was good to hear him back. <laughs> you know, there was there was some great humor. You know, the um, the alias Ramy and Campbell. Yes, that was hilarious. <laughs> oh, I laughed so hard at that one. You know, Kripke has said in the past he wants to have Bruce Campbell come on as a guest star. Oh yeah. And um, I can't imagine how much Bruce would cost to have his guest star. So <laughs> right. I don't know if it's beyond CW's budget, but that was great to see that. And along with the last, there were also some really great scary scenes. I was really spooked in the scene that had the girl's mother showing up at her monitor just behind her. Yeah. So I thought that was really well done. Speaking of that girl calling <laughs> Sam out on the rental car <laughs> and the cheap suit. <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of talk about that rental car. You know, it looked believable until you saw the, you know, okay rentals or whatever it was. But... <laughs> You know, they're like, well, that's the first time we've ever seen Sam rent a car for something. It's true. So I know they needed to split up and go do different stuff, but usually Sam is like hitchhiking or something. I don't know, doing something, walking, or I don't know how he gets from place to place. <laughs> Maybe he has a broomstick and he flies. I don't really know. but <laughs> his demon powers, who knows? <laughs> who knows? We don't know what they do. But he had that rental car, car and he showed up in that suit, like, it was like, whoa, stepping up your game, Sammy. How cool is that? And then he totally gets called out by that girl. <laughs> Oops, she probably paid a little too much attention to him. That's why Dad didn't notice. Yeah. yeah, I bet. You know, there could have been an explanation on that. What about my car's in the shop and I needed a rental? Oh, I know. And that was part of my speculation. Does like, the phone company have a strict no cheap suits policy? I mean, how did that make him seem unauthentic? You know, when I've seen the phone company guys, they're like in jeans and a t-shirt. So <laughs> I'd say he's probably pretty well dressed for a phone dude. I thought so too. Well, also speaking of the girl, uh, it was nice to see Sam actually take an interest in helping people instead of just dealing with his own crap. That's true. Even though she was jailbait. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's part of the uh, season one return, you know, because Sam was always so sensitive to everybody's needs. and Yeah, care. especially children. Right. <laughs> Not that creepy way it may have sounded. 
<laughs> I meant more in the line of like saving the kids, not um, shall we go there? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Like in that episode last season with all the dolls. Right. Where he saved that kid by jumping in the pool. Yes. That was more that line. <laughs> exactly. Let's stick to that. <laughs> you know, but it was nice to see the Dean storyline getting a little break there. Yeah. You know, this intense storyline that's been following and, you know, to see them just saving people and hunting things. And, and you know, in that, in that storyline following the girls storyline, I thought it was really well done when Sam tells her that's not your mother, the way he said it, whatever, and the way it was filmed, it was very, you know, scary revelation moment. Yep. I thought that was really well done. I like that girl actor. Whoever she is. Well done. <laughs> Wrong. Well done, girl with no name. All right. right. May you guest star in many more episodes of TV shows. Yeah. Shame on us for not having looked up her name. <laughs> I also like the fact that Sam and Dean kind of face up to the fact that they're both gigantic liars, even when it comes to each other's these days. They didn't used to lie to each other. They used to maybe hide things a right. little bit. Right. But they never lied to each other. <laughs> That darn Ruby. She came in the picture and they all started lying. I know. Women. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I know. <laughs> Come on, she's a demon. That's right. She hasn't been actually a human woman for a very long time. She's supposed to cause problems. That's her job. Yep. As a demon. As a demon, yes. <laughs> I wonder, where is she? What is she doing? Is she hanging out with Lilith? What's going on? <laughs> right. I didn't even put that in my speculation because, ah, eh, whatever. Oh, I also like the red herring that they threw in there about the Edison spirit phone. Oh, yeah. That was cool. And um, it was nice to see the guys actually doing old-fashioned research. And there for a while, they just called Bobby for everything. Bye-bye! <laughs> <laughs> and they still called Bobby in this one, but... They did, to talk about their feelings in boy bands. Boy bands. Don't forget the boy bands. <laughs> right. Well, I really liked um, the end scene when, um, well, actually, the not the very end scene, but when Sam's fighting the bad guy, and you Ooh, see yeah. that, that rack thing behind his head, and Sam just basically lines up the shot, and then, bam, right in the face. Yeah, the, um, the choreography was great this episode. Yeah, it's gruesome. Yeah, the boys like had almost identical choreography. Yeah, that's what somebody on the fandom said. I haven't actually gone back to research. I just thought I'd throw it there, see if anyone else noticed. I didn't pick it up. Apparently, I wasn't as observant as I normally am this episode. <laughs> well, what did you think of the last scene, the conversation on the hotel beds? Ah, uh, yes. You know, Jensen says I hates those kind of scenes. The heart-to-heart scenes? Yes, he hates doing that stuff. He's like, I know it's necessary, but ugh, I just hate it. <laughs> it's just, um, you know, boys don't like to talk about their feelings. Well, it's probably especially hard when you've got, you know, all these people staring at you while you do it. I mean, although he did have a start in soap opera, so I mean, come on. <laughs> That's right. But I did like that scene. I thought it, it was, um, you know, a little over the top, but we end up having this kind of resolution every once in a while. At first it was like, oh, that's so cool. And now it's just like, ah, it's another one of those. <laughs> I don't really do the sappy thing myself. So. <laughs> I think it's really well done, but you're right. It wasn't like one of the more impactful emotional moments that they've had. Yeah. 
but I thought it was it was necessary. Right, and fun. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a lot of things to like about this episode. There were. I don't feel as in the need to nitpick as much. No. <laughs> However. Shall we move on to what we didn't like? Sam and Dean were split up for most of the episode. Kind of like what we saw back in Scarecrow. Although we don't get to meet a Meg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I imagine they just needed to cover more ground. But it really was a bummer to see Dean hiding from Sam. Like what was happening about John. Yeah. Like when he's sleeping, he's like hiding out with the phone and, you know, and, but Sam took out the baddie himself. Right. That's true. Which it was, I liked and didn't like all at the same time. You know, I hated that they were completely separate, but it was good to see yet another reference that Sam can survive without Dean. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and, and as for the splitting up part, I thought, it, I thought it was a little hard to believe that Sam would just leave Dean when he knew he was about to go do something stupid. Yeah. What's up with that? Did he hope maybe just get out of his contract that way? And just stay here, and if Dad calls again, yeah. I'll be at this girl's house. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know he had to go and rescue her, but to me, he would at least try to drag Dean along so we could keep an eye on him. Yeah, you would have thought that they would have wanted to not split up when they actually found out what was going on. <laughs> right. No kidding. And you know, people calling from the dead, I just don't think that's a good time to not be near the one person to back you up. <laughs> yeah, especially if it if they hypothesize that something bad might happen. Don't you need a sidekick? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. And granted, Sam's the one that ends up captured, but at least he's on the case. And, and then Dean going and um, that poor guy, the poor dad. It's like, come on, wrong place, wrong time. Oh, I, I know he got tricked into being there, but... Yeah, no kidding. That was pretty awful. That was actually kind of a hard scene, because you're like, come on, don't you guys got to figure it out. Come on, don't beat each other up. <laughs> I know this poor guy lost his girl, and now he's getting beat up some, by some stranger that he thinks killed her. That's rough. At least he was smart enough to see when the guy stepped out of the circle that he wasn't a demon. Well, Dean's a smart guy. <laughs> when he tries. Yeah. <laughs> when he cares. <laughs> right. I mean, of course, he's no Stanford graduate, but... <laughs> That's right. As for the Stanford graduate, he got tied up again in this episode. He's always getting tied up. What's up with that? And he escaped while the villain was giving his monologue. Like he was <laughs> again. A... Yes. It was like a James Bond movie or an episode of Batman from the... <laughs> I'm wondering if Sam is maybe part MacGyver. How does he get them to always tie the bonds incorrectly? <laughs> yeah, or he just carries some sort of little knife, like, in his fingernails or something. Like, what's the deal? Maybe it's a demon coming out. Maybe it is. One of his powers we don't know about. He has little Freddy Krueger, like, knives coming out of his fingers. <laughs> yeah, he's getting pretty good at that. He is. And why do they always seem to monologue around them? I don't know. I guess it's what what a bad guy has to do. <laughs> No, but everybody else just gets killed. They actually get, like, a background story, a bedtime story, whatever. In, in, in the kind case of, weird. like, those demons, it kind of makes sense, because Sam and Dean are famous, and everybody wants to talk to them. But these random bad guys, I don't know why they want to tell them their story. <laughs> I guess they just like to talk. Right. Maybe it's maybe they all know because Ruby's been telling them all right. how much they like to talk. <laughs> they just want to be understood. There was no music. Those ghost phones, spirit phones, cost a lot of money. So That's right. The quote when Sam was saying that the call was not from John, that it was a crocata, 
And Dean's like, what's that, a sandwich? I was like, what? <laughs> Are you serious? How did you not know about that? Yeah. Like, they know all sorts of stuff. It might have even been in John's journal, or it might have come across in some of their research. And it was a short time later that Dean actually knew all about the creature. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was like, that's just stupid. I mean, I know they probably just probably put some humor in there, but... Right. Yes, he's obviously a bad guy expert, and if Sam can identify it based on what that girl said, chances are Dean could have too. Exactly. That's my point. So should we move on to some questions and speculation? Yes. John can't help. Now what? It's a good question, because we <laughs> thought about John helping before. Well, I was wondering, you know, we and it was mentioned again in this episode that Dean get if Dean gets out of his deal, then Sam automatically dies, right? Yeah. So I was wondering if the catch goes both ways, like specifically if Sam dies, does that mean Dean is out of his deal? Hmm. I mean, not that that really solves anything right away, but it does open a door. If something does happen to Sam, maybe Dean doesn't go straight to hell or doesn't die. That could be, or they could say, well, now there's no reason. We'll just take your life early. That's true. We still want you. You just, you know, so your brother died. Ah, technicality. Right. So the so Dean's deal only was for his resurrection, not for like his permanent safety or anything. Correct. I would bet not. Okay. <laughs> but you never know. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to get out of this. I do know this. They better tell us how before the end of the season because I don't want to wait all summer to find out. I actually have a sinking suspicion that they are <laughs> going to leave us on a cliffhanger on precisely this issue. <sighs> because Kripke is an evil genius. That is just, that is beyond evil. I don't even know how to describe that. <laughs> actually, the fandom uses another word, but it's not PG, so I really can't say it on the podcast. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. So, yeah, we're, we can't even get into the other demon stuff because it hasn't been addressed for two episodes. So we haven't moved yep. anywhere on that or Ruby or Bella. That is true. Although I did read the description for this coming episode. Oh, you did? And I think we, well, yeah. <laughs> Just the, the little two-sentence blurb from the CW. You know? Right. And uh, I, purely by accident, actually, but... I think we will uh, have a return of somebody we all know. Know and love? The jury's still out on that one, apparently. <laughs> so we'll see. I guess so. Did you have any favorite quotes? Just the one we already mentioned. Oh. You know, Sam. Where um, Sam found out that Dean had talked to Bobby. And he was like, so what are you two talking? Were you talking a case? And Dean's like, no, we were actually talking about our feelings and then our favorite boy bands. Yeah, we were talking about a case. <laughs> That's when you would have to slap him in real life for being so sarcastic. I have a sarcastic sense of humor, so it actually appeals to me, but I think others might want to slap me at points, so I've been there, done that. I liked it at the end when Dean was actually being the mushy one, which was unusual, mm -hmm. and he gets on to Sam for ruining the moment, and Sam says, do you want a poem? That was awesome. <laughs> and then, of course, the <laughs> random tour guide woman. I thought she was funny. And we're walking, we're walking. Yeah. We're not touching. <laughs> you know, I've been on a lot of those kind of tours. I've never seen anyone like that. <laughs> never. Never seen a tour guide quite that, you know, words just don't come to mind. <laughs> I know. 
She was like beyond a stereotype. But in an, in a, like a museum, you don't see people like that. She probably would have told them there was no basement there. Yeah, and we're walking. We're walking. <laughs> wow, I don't have anything else to say. That's all I got. No soapbox this week. No soapbox. Stay, Yay! stay off the soapbox. <laughs> Reserve that for serious breaches. <laughs> okay, and on to legends and references. In this episode, we had the crocata otherwise known as Korokata, Krokata, or Yena, it is a mythical dog-wolf of India or Ethiopia, said to be a deadly enemy of men and dogs. This beast was first described by Pliny in his work Natural History, Book 8, Chapter 30. He simply described the Krokata as a combination between a dog and a wolf with impossibly strong teeth and instant digestion. Other mythologies have described the crocata as a gluttonous beast that digs up the buried dead and prowls around farms at night. It is said that the crocata could lure dogs to their death by imitating the sound of a man in distress. When the dogs heard the cry, they would follow the sound only to be attacked and devoured. The beast was also said to occasionally hide in bushes at the edge of the forest, listening to the farmers talking and calling each other by name. The crocata would then repeat one of the names to lure the person into the woods. When the man approached, it would draw back into the brush and speak his name again. As the man followed, the creature would continue to draw deeper and deeper into the woods. When the victim was beyond help, the animal would leap upon it and devour him. Other legends ascribe the crocata with the ability to change its color or gender at will. Some legends said that animals that attempted to stalk it would freeze in their own tracks. The eyes of a slain crocata were said to be striped jewels that would give the possessor oracular powers when placed under the tongue. Pliny said that the offspring of a crocata and a lion was the lucrata, which could imitate the sound of a human voice. There was no doubt the source of the latter, similar claims for the abilities of the crocata itself. The lucrata was said to be a cloven-hoofed animal the size of a male donkey, yet swift and fierce, described as having the haunches of a stag, the tail, chest, and neck of a lion, and the head of a badger, its mouth was said to open back as far as its ears. Instead of teeth, it had ridges of bone that could crush anything. It was said to never close its eyes, and its backbone was said to be so rigid that it had to turn around to see what was behind it. The dog-wolf crocata and the antelope-like lucrota were clearly meant to be two different types of animals, but because of their alleged blood relation, the similarity of their names, and their supposed ability to speak with a human voice, the authors of Bestiaries often mistook one for another. And as far as other legends, I just want to mention briefly that although this episode focuses on the Crocata, it could easily have drawn on other sources, and viewers, including myself, may have heard of other legends that could have been the answer to the mystery. A couple examples include, according to Navajo legends, skinwalkers can have the power to read human thoughts. They also possess the ability to make any human or animal noise they choose. A skinwalker may use the voice of a relative or the cry of an infant to lure victims out of the safety of their homes. And of course, witches are often portrayed in fiction and film as having powers to draw or call humans to them, usually for sacrifice or some other dark purpose. And I want to mention in my discussion with Josh, we talk about Sam and Dean, Dean using the alias Raimi and Campbell. It's a reference to writer-director Sam Raimi and actor Bruce Campbell, who both worked on the classic horror movie Evil Dead. A hilarious horror film if you haven't seen it. I do recommend you check it out. 
We did not have the pleasure of any music in this episode, but the song of the night tonight is The Way We Talk by The Main. Check out their website at myspace.com slash the main. The song is brought to you tonight by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Enjoy. She's fresh to death, she'll be the death of you. Seduction leads to destruction. She's fresh to death, she'll be the death of me. She's fresh, she's fresh, but not so For this slightly delayed episode, 
We'll have another one out in a few days as we lead up to the season finale, which airs this Thursday on The CW. Thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to the Supernatural Podcast. You can visit my website at supernaturalpodcast.blogspot.com or send me an email at supernaturalpodcast at gmail.com. Please note that the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and not of the producers of Supernatural or The CW. Audio clips played on this podcast are property of The CW and no infringement is intended. Some of the music heard here is from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. <laughs>